Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm so excited about bringing the word to you today. Why don't we pray and we'll get into it. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. God, come and be the great physician of our souls today. Perform surgery on us, make us more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would heal sick bodies as I preach the word today, that God, you would come and you would renew minds that, Father, you would come and restore broken hearts. God, I thank you that your job description is to preach good news. Your job description is to open the prison to those who are bound, to declare the year of the Lord's favour. And I just declare favour and blessing over your people today, that as we come together, God, we're conscious and aware that you are on the move, not just across the church, but in our individual lives. We honour you. We love you. And we just commit this moment to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through to verse 22. Not sure whether you've heard many messages from the book of Daniel. It's a prophetic book. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And not often do we in this day and age hear preaching when it comes to the prophetic literature. I've been wrestling with this passage all week as I've been feeling impressed upon my heart to preach to you from this. And as I've studied it, I've discovered some amazing things about one of the titles of Jesus that has been very much neglected in the modern church. We don't hear a lot about it, but we need to understand it if we're going to recover an understanding of the message that Jesus preached, which is the kingdom of God. Our mission as a church is to advance the kingdom. We're not here to advance a brand or man's opinion, or ideology. We're here to advance God's kingdom. And so we need to understand His kingdom as the Word of God proclaims it. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, where God's will, power, and authority is in full effect. And so Daniel 7 gives us insights into this. Verse 9, it says, As I looked, so Daniel's seeing a vision, a prophetic, supernatural vision. As I looked, thrones, not just singular but plural, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened." Daniel looked and then, because of the sound of the great words, that the horn, which was in the beast, we'll look at it in a moment, was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. <clears throat> as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions <clears throat> and behold, with the clouds of heaven, There came one like a son of man. Note that in your reading. And he came to the ancient of days, excuse me, and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of the angels, one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and he made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings or four empires who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and that seemed greater, or, or and a mouth, should I say, that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, his horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until, everybody say until, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the cloud rider, the cloud rider. If you've ever felt like the odd one out, welcome to the family of God. Because if you're a person of faith, you have faith in Jesus Christ and you are following Jesus, you believe in the truth of God's Word, you may not have assimilated all of the truth of that into your life, you may not be where you want to be yet but you love Jesus, you follow Jesus. If, you, if that is true for you, there'll be moments in this life, in the culture, in the world that we live in, where you'll feel out of place. Because the world that we live in has a different value system to the world of the kingdom of God. And there will be and there should be at times tension between the kingdom of heaven that is within us and the kingdom of the world that is around us. The Bible says to live in the world, but not of it. Some Christians are of the world, but not in it. And whenever you and I are called to live in it, but not be of it, there will be tension. If there's no tension, there is a problem. If you never feel a sense of conviction when a sinful attitude or an unhealthy exchange between yourself and somebody else happens. If there's never any conflict in your spirit between what you see in the world around you, particularly over the last 12 months, and, and the reality of what we read in the Word of God, we need to examine where, where is the health of our hearts really at when it comes to the truth and the reality of the Kingdom of God. So if you've ever felt like you're the odd one out in your workplace, in family gatherings, in different settings because of your decision to follow Jesus and what God has done in your life, welcome to the family. That is not a bad thing. That's a good thing that you feel that there's a difference. But what we don't want is to be disconnected from the world around us where we, we're not actually showing and demonstrating God's love and the power of the kingdom to the world around us 
But we're also called to be engaged and relevant with what's happening in the world around us, however the differences may look like. The prophet Daniel was a little bit like us thousands of years ago. He is a Hebrew living in exile in Babylon in a foreign culture, in a foreign nation. Babylon is always a picture of the kingdom of darkness in the Bible. And he's living in exile because Israel have disobeyed God, dishonoured God in their worship. And now they're in exile. And Daniel is a prime minister, a governor. He is advising King Nebuchadnezzar as well as other kings of Babylon. He's isolated in a foreign culture. And in the midst of that isolation, God gives him a supernatural vision. This vision is of four beasts. These four beasts represent four human empires. And the fourth human empire and beast is the strongest, the most dominating, and sort of not only influences the other empires, but persecutes the church. And in the vision, the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, God himself, comes as the thrones are placed in the heavenly council, which tells us that God was consulting with his heavenly council, not just taking counsel of himself, even though he can, but in that heavenly council as he assumed his throne, the question is implied, what are we going to do about this fourth empire that has dominion, has authority, and is persecuting the church and making war against the church? What are we going to do about it? And the decision and counsel that came and was concluded was that we're going to take the dominion and authority of this empire, speaking of a time to come in the future, and we've got to work out how we're going to do that. We're not only going to destroy the beast, but we've got to work out how. And the answer to how was in Daniel's vision. All of a sudden, Daniel sees a figure of a son of man riding on the clouds, speaking of someone who is to come, Jesus Christ, who has given dominion and glory and kingdom authority. This vision so alarmed Daniel that he needed an angel to interpret it. And as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture and then look at the whole counsel of God's Word, because whenever you're reading prophetic literature, of which the Bible consists of a lot of prophetic literature, you need to understand the full counsel of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, not only to interpret prophecy, but to apply it to a New Testament situation and reality. And so as I've wrestled with this passage this week, and Lord, what relevance does this have to us today? It has every relevance to us today. And it speaks to a profound title of Jesus that has been often neglected. That title is known as the Son of Man. We often refer to Jesus as the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Uh, There are different terms, the Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. But very rarely have we ever heard a message on that title, the Son of Man. And yet the Son of Man appears 107 times in the Old Testament, 81 times in the Gospels. And it's one of the most neglected terms. And yet it is so rich. And as we uncover an understanding and revelation into what does Jesus mean by the Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man that Daniel is seeing in this prophecy? We start to get an understanding of our place in the kingdom of God and what God has called us as His kingdom sons and daughters in His kingdom family, what He's called us to do on planet earth today in the 21st century. The Son of Man, that title means that Jesus is both human 
and divine. In the Old Testament, clouds represented the clothing of God. And so in the wilderness, when God came to Israel in the form of a pillar of cloud by day, that cloud was directing them, but also that cloud was shading them from the natural heat of the sun. And so the God who was everywhere is now seen to be somewhere when he is wrapped in the clothing of the clouds. In the Holy of Holies, we read that the clouds of incense covered the mercy seat and mixed with the Shekinah glory cloud, which is the manifest presence of God on the Day of Atonement. And I'll speak more about that in a moment. But it was a picture of God coming in His manifest presence and revealing Himself to His people. And so here is Daniel in this vision and he sees the figure of a man wrapped in clothing of clouds. This is a picture of both Jesus' humanity and His divinity. You see, the Bible says in John 1.14, the Word, which is God's divinity in Jesus, became flesh, which is humanity, and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Now, I don't know about any other parent in the room, but does anyone else's kids wear their clothes? As in, wear your clothes? Because my daughter's actually wearing one of my jackets today. It just happened to be coincidental. I didn't plan this illustration. And so my kids, you know, they eye off my shoes or whatever, and I'm like, get your hands off. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? And so uh, they like to wear their parents' clothes, whether Chelsea's wearing my jacket or her mum's jacket or my kids are wearing T-shirts or shorts or whatever it may be. Kids sometimes just think that they have a birthright to basically take their parents' clothing whenever they want. And as a parent, you should take it as a compliment because generally kids look at their parents like, dear Lord, help them. And so you, you should take that as a compliment, right? Well, when it comes to Jesus The Bible tells us as the Son of Man rides on the cloud, He was literally wrapped in the clothing of His Father, just like your kids wear your clothing uh, of their parents. And in the same way in the New Testament, we are encouraged in Luke 24 to be clothed with power from on high. Jesus said to the disciples, don't you dare leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. In other words, our humanity is to be clothed with the divinity of God's power in our lives. We are actually to clothe ourselves in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. We do that by faith and we do that by being filled with the Holy Spirit. But just as Jesus was both human and divine, you and I being very much human are called to be filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are to be clothed with power. Not only that, but the Bible says in 1 Peter that we are to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. So not only is this about the power of the Holy Spirit, this is about the character of the Spirit of God. We are to be clothed with the fruits of the Spirit. They're to be cultivated and developed in our hearts and in our lives. And so the world should see, just as Israel could see, that that God was clothed in the clouds in that pillar of cloud, just as Daniel could see the Son of Man, Jesus Himself coming and riding in the cloud, the world should see that we are clothed with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Son of Man is a title that also means that Jesus is both an individual person and a corporate body. 
You see, the Son of Man who receives kingdom authority in verse 14 of the passage we've just read becomes the saints, the body of Christ, who receive kingdom authority in verse 18. You see, just as in the first Adam, Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, just as in the first Adam, there was hidden within him a race, a human race representing you and I, so too in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, an entire new race, a new ethnic group of new creations in Christ Jesus of people called the church. Every single believer is a part of the new ethnic group, the new people of God. You may identify yourself by a particular city of origin, family of origin or ethnicity, but in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The Bible affirms this in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness. There's a saying that is quite popular on the internet and in nutrition circles, you are what you eat. And that may not be very encouraging if you look back over the last 24 hours and reflect on what you've eaten. And maybe by the end of my birthday today, after a few slices of lemon meringue pie, I might not be happy about that saying either. But it's an interesting saying because our nutrition has an impact upon our energy and our well-being and our performance in life. Well, Jesus said, take and eat. We heard it in communion. Take and eat of my body, which is given for you. If you are what you eat, what is he saying? He's saying, don't just remember the sacrifice of what I've done for you on the cross, but participate in my body. You are invited to participate and be a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, I'm sure you've discovered, like I have, most bodies have the same names as their heads. Don't think too deep about it. Most bodies have the same names as their heads. If you were to punch me in my body and say, oh, Corey, just relax. Don't, 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 you know, be alarmed. I'm not punching you. I'm just punching your body. Then in my flesh, apart from the grace of Christ and turn the other cheek and clothing myself with kindness and compassion and daffodils, uh, I I would be tempted to, to actually form a fivefold ministry and say, well, let's punch you and see how you feel about being punched in your body and whether or not you feel that it is actually punching you. It's a very silly illustration to communicate a profound truth. And that is, why do we think it's okay to beat up the body of Christ when the church carries the same name as the head? Why do we think it's okay to beat up on the church, the bride of Christ, and talk about it like the bride of Frankenstein as if we aren't part of the problem? 
You know, I've grown up in church all my life. I've been at different churches all over the planet. I, I, one year I preached 350 times in different churches. True story. Back in 2015, I, I've been in so many different churches that sometimes I think when you've only ever been in this church and you become overly familiar with it, you develop an over-familiarity that develops a critical heart of the church and you need to realise this is special what God is doing here. This is unique. And sometimes we actually need to go, and visit somewhere else to discover how awesome is the place that God has planted us in. It doesn't mean that there aren't issues and challenges and things to improve and to work on. But I don't know about you. I'd rather be in the ark of Jesus Christ than drowning in the floodwaters of the world because even though in the ark there were some smells, there were some issues, there was some mess, it was far better being in the ark than it was being lost in the drowning of the sin of the world. And so we need to realise that the moment when we're pointing out all the issues with the church, the moment we step into the church, we bring those issues with us. Because we all are broken and we all are being restored and we're all learning what it means to become more like Jesus. I've just made a decision, rather than pointing out the problems, I'd be rather a part of the solution and be a part of what God is doing. It's so important that we don't individualise our personal faith in Jesus and say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And sometimes that mindset comes into the modern church and we think that we are the ones who set the parameters of our faith, but you can't have an individual faith without a community faith. We are the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And so when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus didn't come to Saul on the Damascus road and say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because I am in them and they are in me. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, I in them and they in me, that they may be one, even as Father, we are one. I think in a world that is persecuting, even in Australia, ideologically, the church of Jesus Christ, we need to speak well of the bride of Christ. We need to speak well of each other, even though there are things that need to be improved, even though there are things that need to be fixed, because we need to be fixed. We need to make sure that we understand that just as the Son of Man is both individual and corporate and has an individual uh, relationship with us, we also are called into the corporate body of God's people. There is no Christian faith without the community of God's people. You see, the Son of Man means that Jesus is both anointed king and high priest. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest enters the holy place, covering himself with clouds of incense because if his flesh is not hidden in the Holy of Holies, then he could find himself struck dead real quick. This was in the Old Covenant. And so they would attach a rope with a bell to the ankle of the high priest. So as he would go in there, the clouds of incense would actually begin to fill up. And so no one, no one can enter the presence of God and still their flesh be seen in the old covenant. And so their flesh had to be hidden. And then in that moment when their flesh was hidden, the Shekinah glory cloud of God's manifest presence would come and fill that holy of holies on the day of atonement and, and take the sins of the people away 
away from them. You see, here in Daniel's vision, he sees the Son of Man riding on the clouds of heaven. Why is that so significant in in Jesus' ministry? Because at Jesus' trial before his crucifixion, Caiaphas, the high priest, he says to Jesus, tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have said so. I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, Jesus prophesies Daniel 7's vision and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Caiaphas, the high priest, manifested kittens because he's like, you've just equated yourself with the Son of Man who comes riding on the clouds in Daniel 7. What more evidence do we need? You've committed blasphemy and Jesus in part was killed because he equated himself with God, with the Son of Man, because he was God. And then to, cup, uh, to, to couple it all off, in Matthew 16, 28, Jesus said, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, often when you've read that, like me, I thought, is that about Jesus' return at the end of the age? How are they going to live for thousands of years to see the Son of Man return? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the ending of the sacrificial system and the high priest and the temple being demolished. And 70 years after his words, his words were fulfilled. The temple was demolished. The high priest and all of the sacrificial system was demolished because there no longer needs to be a human sacrifice made because there has been a heavenly sacrifice made on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so a new reign of God's kingdom was established on the earth. Up until that time, the two offices of king and priest were separate in Israel, but in the Son of Man, they came together. And in Hebrews 5, 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which was both king and priest. You say, that's awesome for Jesus. What relevance does that have for me today? It has every relevance because Revelation 5, 10 says, the Son of Man has made us as God's people a kingdom of kings and priests. And we, like Jesus, shall reign on the earth. If by one man's trespass, One man's sin. Death reigned through that one man. How much more those who've received abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ. You see, the Son of Man also means that Jesus both suffered and reigned at the same time. This is really important to understand because the fourth beast in Daniel's vision actually persecutes the church. But ultimately, the Ancient of Days, Yahweh Himself, takes dominion authority through Jesus over this fourth empire, attacking the church, persecuting the saints, and brings about a great victory. And the Bible says in verse 27 that the greatness of the kingdoms of the world under the whole heaven were given to the people of God. What this does, it brings into tension the reality of both suffering and victory as God's people. If our Christianity does not include a theology of suffering, we're actually not connected to the head. And when I speak the head, I'm not talking about connected to our heads, I'm talking about the head of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus 
drank the cup of suffering. He spoke of it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked the Father, Father, please take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. When he was crucified on the cross, he drank the cup of suffering and yet the empty tomb tells us he also reigned. And so suffering and reigning is very much a part of every believer's life. And throughout Christian history, the church has often gone to two extremes. We've either gone to the extreme of the more we suffer, the more godly and Christ-like we are, which is a heresy and the Bible does not teach that. Or the other pendulum of the issue is that we, we now assume a posture of what we call triumphalism, where we're now superior over everyone and everything. And the application of that in the modern age is the health, wealth and prosperity gospel, which basically denies that any believer should suffer or have any problems in their life. And yet Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus said, well, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you because every servant is like their master. So if Jesus suffered and if Jesus was persecuted for living righteously as the Son of God and for following His Father's will, how much more will the people of God? Yes, there will be suffering in this lifetime. And by suffering, I'm not talking about sickness or the stupidity that's connected with the foolishness of our own selfishness. Anyone ever made a foolish decision in their lives, or am I the only idiot in the room? Um, All of us, at some points, have had consequences in our lives because we made poor choices. was either we said something inappropriate, we did something inappropriate, and there were consequences. I'm not talking about the suffering that's connected with living unrighteously, I'm talking about the suffering that's connected in following Jesus. Living righteously for God and His kingdom. Don't be surprised, Peter says, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. He's talking about suffering for living righteously for the kingdom of God. Yes, there will be, and there is across the planet right now, pastors, leaders, believers, suffering for their faith. You may have even received some level of ideological persecution for your faith in Jesus, feeling like the odd one out. But I'm telling you, whilst there may be some suffering in this lifetime, there is also reigning through the person of Jesus Christ. We both suffer and reign with Him in heavenly places. And this is why we've got to keep contending for the power of the Kingdom of God against Satan's weapons of sin, sickness and death and everything that the enemy might bring against us because when we pray and we heal the sick, the Kingdom of Heaven is drawing near. And we're sending a message to all the cosmic powers of darkness that Jesus' Kingdom reigns over the Kingdom of darkness of this world and all that the enemy and its fallenness and his fallen angels have come to actually bring against the people of God. When we cast out demons, and much of the modern church is afraid to even use that phrase, let alone preach about it, and yet 40% of Jesus' ministry was setting people free from demonic strongholds in their life. And every single week in our church, day to day, week to week, we see people getting set free 
from oppressive spirits that are coming against their minds, their bodies and spirits. And we're not afraid of it in the slightest. In fact, the presence of Jesus in all of its power is the most attractive, seeker-sensitive thing on the planet because where everyone wants a king like Jesus, everyone wants freedom that Jesus offers. They just don't know it, but we're here to help people taste and see that God is good and to come into covenant relationship with Him. Every time we preach the good news of the kingdom, we're confronting the lies and deceit of the enemy. Every time we pray, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I are part of shaping history. We're a part of actually forming and shaping the planet to become more and more like the kingdom of heaven. One day suffering will cease, but until it ultimately ceases, you and I are to partner with the Son of Man, the cloud rider, walking in victory despite what heaven and earth may bring against us. We thank God that we are seated with Him in heavenly places. The Son of Man also means that Jesus was judged on the cross, but He was also given judgment over the nations. The Bible says in Daniel 7, 21, as I looked, this is Daniel speaking, the fourth beast, the fourth empire made war with the saints and prevailed over them, very important word, until, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. You see, not only as believers are we citizens in the kingdom now, But there's a time coming when every act of persecution and suffering against the church, the tables will turn. The first will be last and the last will be first. When Jesus went to the cross, the sins of the world and the kingdom of Satan was judged. And we see the imagery of this in things like C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. If you've seen that movie, you'll see that there's this moment where Aslan the lion representing Jesus surrenders his life to the hordes of the white witch representing Satan and demons. And they're all triumphing, all rejoicing over Aslan coming and sacrificing himself. And what evil misperceived as triumph actually turned out to be a dismal defeat for the kingdom of Satan. If the kingdom of Satan has been overthrown, Why do we live as if Satan has a right to influence us? Because if you believe the lie, you empower the liar in your life. Satan has no right to your soul. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone the new has come. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So why do we give the devil? That's why the Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Don't entertain the lies of the enemy. Don't entertain temptation. And by the way, if you feel overcome by temptation, I know what it's like to feel an onslaught of tempting thoughts and, and, and actions. But let me tell you something, even over the most tempting thought, you God has made a way of escape for you. You have a way through. And that is a word for someone in this room today. I haven't preached that in the first service. but someone is here, you feel the onslaught of evil, of temptation. And you think, I can't break that 
addiction. I can't break that gossiping habit. I can't break that porn addiction. I can't break this. The devil is a liar. Stop believing the lie because you're empowering the liar in your life. You've been transferred from darkness to light, from death to life. There's no more full tomb. It's an empty tomb. Jesus is resurrected. He's conquered everything that pertains to life and godliness. And the Bible says you and I have been given everything we need to live life in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that you won't face some temptation and some challenges and some trials, but it means that you always through Christ have the victory. It's whether or not you choose to partner with that and that truth in your life. You see, if we believe in Jesus, our sin has already been judged. You no longer have to face the final judgment. Some of you live in constant fear that you're going to have to stand and face the final judgment. That's a lie of the enemy as well. It's already been judged on the cross. You won't have to face it when it comes. Our works will be tested, yes, but not whether or not you'll spend eternity in the presence of God. It's already been judged on the cross. And the moment that you and I were judging our sinfulness on the cross was the same moment as we believe in Jesus, we're also made to be judges of angels and nations. Do you know that's what the Bible says? One day the saints are going to judge angels and nations. We're actually going to participate in that responsibility to administer the justice of heaven with God because we've been deemed worthy because of Jesus, not because of us. Now that we have freedom in Christ, Jesus has given us a great commission to go on a rescue mission and take back everything that Satan has stolen from us. To go into every sphere of society and culture. To take our money, our talents, our abilities, the breath in our lungs, the relationships we have, the time that God has given to us to be good stewards of it and to extend His kingdom wherever we find ourselves. And so this Son of Man title has so much richness in how it's applied in our lives because the Son of Man coming on the clouds to meet the Ancient of Days is not only a picture of the ascension of Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus' return to earth. You see, the Bible says, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, here it is, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, two angels said to them, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, this Son of Man, was, who was taken from you, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Where did they get that from? Daniel 7, Jesus riding on the clouds. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, it speaks of us meeting Jesus in the clouds. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the what? In the clouds. 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. You see, in a world of pandemics and in a world of persecution, in a world of power struggles and in a world of hopelessness, the same Son of Man who ascended to heaven on a cloud is coming back as the Son of Man riding on a cloud. And every one of us who believe in Jesus will be caught up in the clouds with Him at His return. In other words, the cloud rider is coming back for a church of cloud riders. You and I are going to be caught up with Him. And so we have every reason to have hope in a world that is filled with so much hopelessness. Not that we're going to escape all of this, but we have a risen and conquering King who not only has done everything necessary on our behalf to live the fullness and abundance of life that Jesus came to give, but He's coming back not for a just a suffering church and a broken and busted and disgusted church and let's just all bunker down until Jesus returns. Yes, there'll be some suffering, but a victorious reigning church that's seated with Him in heavenly places that also will know the power of riding on the cloud with Him. The Son of Man must be one of the richest, glorious titles of Jesus foretold by the prophets, born in a stable, crucified on a cross, resurrected from an empty tomb, manifested by the power of the Spirit in the early church. And he's coming back as the cloud rider for a church of cloud riders. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet today? And why don't you just close your eyes as I pray for you right now. Maybe this week you've found yourself as you've watched the news heard something of happening in your family, something has gone on in your business, something has gone on in your life, and the enemy's tried to come fill you with despair, depression, anxiety. Maybe like Daniel, you've seen something in the spirit realm, your thoughts have alarmed you, something has just caught your attention. You know, the Apostle Paul says that concerning the return of Jesus, we're to encourage each other with these words, that the return of Jesus and the Son of Man not only who was, and but is and is to come, is a cause and a reason for hope in a world that is filled with hopelessness. And maybe this week you've felt overcome and overwhelmed by all that's coming against you. My prayer for you today is that the message of the Son of Man, the cloud rider would come and fill you with courage and faith and hope to follow Jesus with confidence in the midst of the contradictions of the environment around you with what's true inside of you. And that when you feel like the odd one out, when you feel like you're, you're suffering some persecution, someone's teasing you, making fun of you, putting you down because you believe in the creation as God designed it. Because you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But because you believe that there is an empty tomb because you believe in the realities and the truths of the Kingdom of God, we're all gonna face those moments where we feel like the odd one out. And in that moment, we're reminded there were many in the Bible, just like Daniel, in the middle of a place called Babylon, felt like the odd one out. In the midst of that, God's Spirit came, gave him a prophetic vision and said, Son, hope is coming. There's a cloud rider. The Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven. And He's not just coming as a little baby in a manger. He's coming as a conquering King. And so whilst at Christmas time, we remember that 
little cute baby in the manger and it's so warm and fuzzy. Let me tell you, He's no longer just a cute little baby. He is a conquering King seated at the right hand of power. His Name is the Son of Man and He's coming back on a white horse with a tattoo on His leg and He's coming back with eyes of blazing fire for His people. And we're gonna be caught up with Him in the clouds and we're gonna spend all eternity in His presence. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of the Kingdom of Heaven. This is the message of Jesus. This is the Gospel. It's all across this room right now. I just wanna invite you to raise your hands as I pray for you. Father, I thank You right now for the power of Your Spirit that is in this room. I thank You that when we preach Your Word and Your Gospel, the Gospel of the Kingdom, there is power with signs and wonders following. And I pray right now for the gift of faith, Lord, to be applied and activated in every heart in this room. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and minister healing and freedom, O God, in every person's mind, body and spirit. I ask as the Name of Jesus, Jesus is elevated, that the power of the Holy Spirit will be demonstrated and that God, You would be glorified, high and lifted up through the Son of Man, that we will join You in the clouds. Come on, wherever you are right now, why don't you begin to thank Jesus for His faithfulness, for His goodness. As we begin to sing, You set the darkness running out of an empty grave. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.